It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. It's time for the weekend mailbag. Before we get there, our daily reminder that you can find the Lockdown Bengals podcast on the brand new podcasting app, Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any number of places on the internet, really, anywhere you can get a podcast on the internet. And remember to tell your smart device to play Lockdown Bengals when you get in the car. We'll keep you company on your ride to work. Today's show is also brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Take your own. Use Hotels.com to book and get rewarded. Joe, everyone, well not everyone, Aaron Parker, Mem Bengal on Twitter today, really was in our mentions telling me, go listen to Brian Callahan. And you know what I did? I went and listened to Brian Callahan talk to Jeff Hobson on the Hobson's Choice podcast over at Bengals.com. And man, he is a treat to listen to. You know, it's funny because uh, Sigmund Bloom, if, if you follow any fantasy football or anything like that, was in my uh, – we were, we were talking the other day and messaging back and forth. And he goes, um, I really like Brian Callahan. Can you tell me anything about him? I said, honestly, he hasn't talked too much. The things he has said, he's he's come off really well uh, and, you know, has, has really – stood out in terms of speaking on analytics and saying the right things, I think. And then uh, he goes, yeah, I think people think he's a future head coaching candidate. And I really want to get to listen to this. I didn't yet. But, uh, Jake, you seemed real excited after you listened. You know, I I do like listening to him talk, so I went to listen to it. And usually I don't have time to fit podcasts into my daily life because at work I need to work and then I get home and – I have like an hour before we start recording. So I usually have, you know, some errands to do or whatever it is. So it was nice to actually set the time aside and listen to it. The tidbits that I heard, yes, I do think he sounds like a future head coaching candidate. He's a very smart dude. I think he understands offensive concepts very easily and he explains them very easily too. He's talking about them being an 11 team. They, he, he's talking about them being multiple and he made the joke like, yeah, I've never heard a coach come out and say we're going to be boring. You know, every coach says they're going to be multiple. And then he lists the ways they're going to be multiple. So that was and by an 11 he, team, though, just so before you go too far, he, he means 11 personnel, three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back. And that's what the Rams were vast, extreme majority. Percent. Yeah. So that's a good thing. Another another tip to. This will be the Ram-style offense. I think it's 100% going to be a Ram-style offense. Yeah. And he said that the emphasis of going out in the same personnel grouping is he's, they're going to come out and as much as they can operate out of the same formation or, or slight variations of the same formation. And he wants to look the same pre-snap. He even said they want to look the same post-snap, at least initially, and then have the play develop from there. He doesn't want to tip what the team's going to do. And when you look at the Rams' offense, that – is very clear. There's a lot of that outside zone, that stretch play kind of stuff that they ran with Todd Gurley. And then off of that, they're running the same exact look and then they're pulling the ball out of Todd Gurley's stomach yep. and they're throwing a screen or they're throwing a deep crosser or they're throwing a go. 
And that's how you look the same post-snap. We know how to look the same pre-snap. You line guys up in the same spot. Or there's three steps to this, really. Uh, first, you're, if you're on defense or if you're a defensive coordinator, you're looking at who the offense is sending out there in the huddle. Uh, based on their personnel, who, which numbers come in and out, you say, okay, nickel, or okay, give me uh, my base defense, okay, send this guy out, whatever the case may be. Um, so looking the same in the huddle every play it hides what you're doing, number one. Number two, coming out, and if you have really a handful of different formations and alignments, and then you run a bunch of plays out of those very few alignments, you're disguising again. You're disguising once again. And this is why it's going to help Andy Dalton. We've talked about more than anything. I I think maybe rivaling pocket presence, but Dalton's pre-snap, post-snap, right? And how defenses can pretty much key on him and try and trick him pre-snap, post-snap and, and get him to feel uncomfortable. But also, but, real quick, but also how good he is pre-snap. I just want to throw yes. that out there. They can try to trick him, but that's all happening on the post snap side. That's so. why they try to trick him at uh, right. that, that spot because it's hard to trick him pre-snap. And so, right, that's it's it's a strong positive for him, but the way to beat him is by switching it all up post-snap. which As is it hard. is for many quarterbacks. Yes, and I was just going to say it's hard to do that as a defense, but if you feel comfortable by, not, uh, by knowing what the offense is going to do, you can do it more often because you're like, okay, they're not going to trick us back. Uh, if you're the defensive guy trying to rotate and get into a different coverage. Uh, right. But if you don't know what they're doing, that's when it makes it harder to really try and uh, uh, give the offense a surprise because you're now needing to read before you can react. So it, it really slows that down a lot. And this is really why I'm big on Andy Dalton in 2019 because uh, I think he fits this very well. I'm excited to hear all of these things. Yeah, and, and when you talk about the motion that they're incorporating pre-snap, another way to make it harder for the defense to trick you because when you have that jet sweep and, and they're going to be running that jet motion, and what I mean by that is they're going to have the, the, a wide receiver coming pretty much in front of Andy Dalton right after he catches a snap, and he's going to be an option for a quick handoff, or it might yep. be a play action and then a, and then a shovel pass kind of thing. So the misdirection, even in the handoff game, is is – it maybe it doesn't fool the defense completely, but it keeps them honest. And John Sheeran, I think, in his John Ross post started to highlight this a little bit and in, in showing some of the jet sweeps they ran with Brandon Cooks. Yep. But that and, same action in the running game can can open up things in the middle of the field because maybe it keeps, you know, the strong side honest yep. while it opens up the weak side. And I think that's what John Sheeran talked about in today's post, which uh, talks or maybe it was yesterday, talks about making uh, Joe Mixon's life easier because he and Gurley, very similar efficiency, very similar yep. production, but Gurley had a much easier time doing it. Right. And uh, the leap Gurley took after he lost Jeff Fisher and was and got Sean McVay and uh, very similar. So for our first two years between Gurley and Mixon, I think they're very similar players, to be honest. And I wouldn't be surprised if he has that type of year. Now, I know that's crazy. Gurley's MVP type. I but. think there's a chance Mixon is actually more talented. There is a chance. I know what you mean. And it's it's because I don't think I, – I just think they're very similar in terms of they height, weight, speed, beating angles, receiving ability, vision, pre, pre-line of scrimmage, after the line of scrimmage. I think Gurley's a better pass protector, and we've talked about that yeah, enough sure. about Mixon. So if he improves, that'll just round out his game even more. I just We talked about this when Taylor was hired. I want to dive in again one more time. And I might have been with James Rapine at the time when he was retired – but uh, when, he, when he was hired, I'm sorry. Um, but – 
yeah, more on that jet sweep action because it's very important. And like like Jake said, the receiver is going to come. Let's say, let me try and visualize this for you. Uh, you got three wide receivers, the slot receivers on the right side, uh, and it's going to be John Ross in this scenario. And he's going to come in motion all the way from the right, all the way to the left. But you're going to hand the ball off, okay? Not to John Ross, to Joe Mixon. It's going to it's going to look like you're stretching it out towards the right. And because of that action of the receiver running all the way to the left. The defensive end on the on that side, the Sam linebacker on that side, are going to account for for Ross. They're going to look at him, and they're going to actually take a couple shuffle steps with him and widen out that defense. So now if Joe Mixon decides, well, the gap between uh, the tackle and the guard now is huge. I can cut back to my left, and I'm, talking, I'm speaking left tackle, left guard. I can cut back now to my left because the, def- the, the defenders in that box on that side had to respect John Ross there on the jet motion. Uh, it makes the cutback lane wide open. He's going to end up with a lot of free space, get him in the second level, and that's when he's dangerous at full speed at 230 pounds. So uh, that's why it's so key and why it works so well. And then a few times you hand it off. And also the other benefit, and this is a benefit every team uses, motion helps declare if the defense is in man coverage or not. So you do that, uh, you know, and you if you're going to throw the ball, you say right at that spot, okay, I got man or I got zone. If it's play action, you know where you're going with the ball. It defines the reads much easier. So, so go listen to the podcast yourself over at Bengals.com. It's excellent. You'll hear Brian Callahan talk about all these points. You'll hear him talk about a lot of things we've talked about as well, I hope. I hope we've done a good enough job of portraying to you what we think is going to come out of this offense, and you should be hearing him echoing a lot of these, those things. The last thing I'll talk about out of that podcast is just how enthusiastic Brian Callahan is in his defense of Bobby Hart. He almost even sold me on the fact that Bobby what? Hart is going to be a better right tackle in 2019. He and, and I know this is coach speak, and this speaks to his charisma. He's a very charismatic speaker. No wasted words. But he, he thinks that Bobby Hart is going to be a different player in 2019 because of a different scheme. He says he understands the perception out there. He understands why people think what they think. He thinks he'll be a different player in a different scheme. He also mentions, though, they won't be afraid to help their tackles when they need Mm -hmm. to. He's quick to say there will be times that we don't think we need to help our tackles. And we talked about this yesterday when we talked about using running backs out of the backfield to chip or using tight ends to chip or just otherwise designing your protection to get help to that tackle. They're they're aware and, and they're willing to, as necessary help with their tackles and and they have a rookie on the left side too. So this isn't to say it's all Bobby Hart, but that, that was interesting to hear Uh, a guy that I respect a lot. I really like to listen to Brian Callahan talk. I've said it three times now, but to hear him defend Bobby Hart the way he does. Yeah. I I really like Brian Callahan quite a bit. So before we get into the questions, we are going to take a quick advertising break and we're going to mention that we are also brought to you today in part by Grip6 Belts. Joe would still love a Grip6 Belt. Have you ordered yourself one yet? No, I haven't. I'm hoping one of the uh, listeners of the show will order one. I'll give you my address. Just DM me. <laughs> oh, this is this is a payment for keeping this show going. You got to get Joe a belt. And the reason these belts are special is because they're comfortable, right? There's no holes, no flap, no no bulk. Just sits All nice that. and flat. Mm. There's a couple special offers out there for you at grip6.com slash L-O-C-K-E. That's grip6.com slash lock. Go check out those promo codes, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. It's Jake and Joe, and we've got your questions for the weekend mailbag. I'm excited for this because it feels like we haven't done it in 
forever, but I think we just skipped one week somewhere in there. Anyways, um, our first question, and I love this question, and it's from John Harden on Twitter, and he wants us to compare 2015, the 2015 roster, uh, to the 2019 roster. He says they're worse off at left tackle, right guard, and linebackers. I think there's a couple other positions worth discussing, Jake. I think there are. So obviously left tackle in 2015 was Andrew Whitworth and, and there's, there's no better, like you couldn't be better right. at, at left guard was Clint Bowling. I think Clint Bowling was playing at a higher level in 2015 than he necessarily will in 2019 remains. If to be it is seen. Bowling. But yeah, now where I was going to go, is going to be Cordy Glenn there. And right. 2015 Clint Bowling was quite good. I am not sure if Cordy Glenn will be better in his transition to guard. That remains to be seen. That's a question mark, I think. The yeah. talent is there, but like we talked about yesterday, it's a totally different beast, and there will be an adjustment period. And it's hard, it, remains to seen, it remains to be seen if he can adjust. Clint, uh, Russell Bodine was the center in 2015. Second year? Yeah, and this was, yeah. by PFF, they say that was his worst year. And, and still was better than Billy Price's rookie year. We expect a step up from Billy Price in yeah, 2019, and, and he should be better. So center, sure. Right guard, obviously, Kevin Zeitler. I think everyone agrees that Kevin Zeitler at the time was playing at a Pro Bowl level, better, yeah. better than John Miller, who should still be a step up from 2018. Right tackle, though, I think is one where I think the 2015 Bengals are better. Bobby Hart... At right tackle, all you need to do is be an average tackle to be better than him. And Andre Smith was pretty close to average, if not average, mm. in 2015. I like the way you spin that because uh, I didn't know where you were going, and I think that could be the closest one we have. Uh, well, no, because I, no, I, I take that back. Billy Price should be better than Russell Bodine in, in year two. Uh, so, I, yeah, that's the one we should be shooting for. Uh, but I would say also now we got to look at receiver because even though we love Green, Boyd, and I guess Ross, it, we don't love him, but we'd, we'd like the potential there. If you listen to Brian Callahan, you're going to like Ross a lot more. Continue. Oh, man. I'm about to listen <laughs> right now in the show. Anyways, uh, Marvin Jones, A.J. Green in his prime, Muhammad Sanu. These, I mean, that was a young, good trio. That was That's tough to beat, I think. It, it would take John Ross becoming who we think he is and then for me to go yeah this 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 trio is better uh, and then Eifert in his prime stayed healthy that year Pro Bowl I mean he was he was fantastic it's the only year he stayed healthy right yeah I think he played 15 games that year yeah uh so and that Pro Bowls of course is what set him down the path of being hurt the following three years anyway never play but, in the Pro Bowl kids never but I'll tell you one area I think completely is better running back and that's because i think joe mixon hands down is the most talented back they maybe ever had and the fit with with zach taylor should be a, a complete match and i was never a big fan of jeremy hill so i will take uh that upgrade there even though you maybe it's a slight downgrade due to age with giovanni bernard from when he was in his second year third year I think Gio's still very good, and I think the depth at running back is better than they had then. Even though Rex Burkhead was there, they didn't use him, they so it doesn't even him. count. Andy Dalton, right. probably similar, right? That maybe, was his best maybe year, better. Though. It was his best year, but like we said, the first four or five games of last year were the and first the time. And the fit we expect, right? Yeah, like he, he, he has a chance to be very good. And the other thing I wanted to say is you, you, we, we've talked a few times about uh, the whole Corey Dillon versus Joe Mixon thing, and the, and you can yeah. go back further. You know, Icky, the Icky Woods James uh, Brooks, James Brooks. Yeah, 
and those guys back in the Super Bowl, the, the, the couple Super Bowls they went to. But listening to Willie Anderson talk about Corey Dillon, I, I think I've come back on that, and Joe Mixon isn't quite there yet. Well, I argued with Willie Anderson the day Mixon was drafted about this, which yeah. is funny. Yeah, I said, oh, I think they just drafted the most talented back they've ever had. And, and he was Corey like, Dillon. whoa, come on. Corey Dillon was fantastic. Borderline Hall of Famer. I blocked for him. The guy was so much better than you than anyone even realizes. And I'm like, yeah, I understand that. But he couldn't catch like Mixon. That's and true. I wish Mixon but had shown it. Imagine, I mean, if Corey Dillon comes up in a different era, maybe he can. And, sure. and he makes a great point, and this was on Brandon Thorne's podcast with Willie Anderson, I think, that... Corey Dillon, as soon as he went to a team where he had a positive game script, he went to New England as as a late, you know, later in his career running back. He, he led the league in rushing. Yeah, I know. I, he crushed I, it. I honestly believe Dillon is one of those guys that's going to get lost in NFL history books, but yeah. in another world where he, he gets drafted really, by somebody else, he is a Hall of Fame back. He's Jerome Bettis, Curtis Martin. At least he won a Super Bowl. On the defensive side of the ball, linebacker, obviously, I think. Vontez Burfecht was pretty good that year. Ray Maluga was a role player. Vinny Ray, I think, was pretty good that year, too, if I recall correctly. I think corner could have been better in 2015. They still had Leon Hall. Vinny Ray had a 55 on PFF that year. That wasn't wasn't his good year. So linebacker, I don't know. That's kind of a toss-up. There's Burfecht and nothing in 2015. Yeah, I think... uh... You know, just looking at it, there is a <sighs> Drake Kirkpatrick played 1,100 snaps and had a 47 grade that year. I definitely like Kirkpatrick now more than I did that year. He's better. Yeah, he's better now. He He's gotten better. And, you know, just remembering that. And I, I like I – sh- I should like – Adam Jones had a really good year that year. But I, I like William Jackson and his upside. I would take Jackson. The only thing is I think Leon Hall is definitely better than Darquez Denard. In, in the nickel roll. So it's kind of a push or a mix. I don't know, because I'm taking two out of three of those spots, and I feel yeah. good about Denard, so maybe I am leaning towards 2019. Really? All right. Yeah. Yeah, because Kirkpatrick's so because much better. Because of Kirkpatrick. Than, yeah, so much better. I mean, he's not even close, I think. Yeah, yeah. All right. What about defensive linemen? Do you think 2019's defensive line? So, so I think this exercise is showing us that it's pretty close, and maybe yeah. this is our bias, and it's a lot of the same names, too. Like Carlos Dunlap is likely going to be a little bit worse. Unless they sign Gerald McCoy, in which case everybody on the defensive line is probably going to be sure. better. Gino, Gino Atkins likely is going to be, be worse. worse. Yeah. A little bit worse, just because now, of age. This was uh, like his is one of his best, best years. I yeah. mean, 85 total pressures. Yeah, it was nuts. Insane. You know Gerald McCoy had a season where he had over 100 pressures? He has been fantastic. Yeah, he's good. Let's sign him. Uh, nose tackle, Damata Pecco. And Could be better. I think it should be better. I think it is better. You think? I think Pecco was more safe, but definitely wasn't getting the splash plays, right? And I think that's what we always wanted. He in wasn't our getting youth, the so. disruption either. He, he was very much just holding the point. And that's all they yeah. asked him to do. Uh, but so, we need so a little bit out of that Billings this year. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So let's summarize, right? The defense might be in the same ballpark, but the strength of that 2015 team was a very good offense that could score whenever it wanted. Hugh Jackson was doing, right? Hugh Jackson was 2015? Yeah. yeah. He was doing creative things, making it work. Yep. And yet I feel the offense is better for 2015, talent-wise. Even though I like the running back position, that's the least important of the units. What? No? Running back? Yep. 
So well, except you know, I, now, maybe not. Now it might be more. I don't know. We'll sure, see. because if the offense is revolving around Joe Mixon, that would yeah. be a big difference. Yeah, it is interesting, though, right, that we have this much conversation about how – because 2015 was like, yeah, they're going to the Super Bowl until Andy Dalton gets hurt. And we're talking about, well, maybe they're not that far off. Yeah, there's a lot of unknown. The there's a side? lot of unknown. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're more optimistic than we think, Joe. Well, here's the last point on 2015. They stayed perfectly healthy. Yeah, we've made seconds. this point. Oh, yeah, that's we've right. made this point plenty of times that they have stayed perfectly healthy. And if they do that again, we like this team in 2019. I like any team that stays perfectly healthy in the NFL. Next question comes from Alex Grigsby. Based on the current Bengals roster, who will be the last player from the 2019 season to be left on the team? He, he says in 10-plus years, and that could be zero people. So let's say just the last player left from the current roster on the team down the road. I think this is one answer only, and it's Jonah Williams, because he's going to have five years, and then there's a great chance he gets extended for another five. And so if I'm going to try and make it 10 years with one guy, it's got to be a guy that at least has five years from now. At a position that there is some longevity in their careers. Right, exactly. Because yeah. I was going to say Jesse Bates, but then he's only got three years left from now. So that means you need another seven years added on. He'd have to get three contracts. And I was like, yeah, probably no. I'm going to leap back to Jonah. But you definitely expect Jesse Bates to get a second contract. You definitely, right. I think, expect William Jackson to get a second contract. But Jackson's These... already a little bit older, too. Yeah, but he'll get a second contract. I'm not but saying he won't get 10, 10 years. years. But these are guys that will be around. These are your future core guys. Carl Lawson, you hope, is a future core guy. These are the guys that are going to get extended. Billy Price, if he's better, Tyler if, Boyd, depending on if they're going to pay a center, will be around for another eight years. Tyler Boyd, yep, he should he's get young. an extension. And he's young. So there's some guys. There's a foundation. I think, but if I'm going to place a bet on one of yeah, them, I'm, I'm going with Joe. I agree. Because he's a safe prospect and he's young. And it's a longevity position, and he's got five years to go from now. I don't think there's any, yeah, I don't think there's anybody else who can even compete. He's the strongest candidate for yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Next question is from Ethan Davillas. Is that right? Yeah, I like that last name. Anyways, any chance that injured picks from last year could contribute to the roster? He says Rod Taylor, Devontae Harris. What were their grades going into the draft, and do they have a shot of making the roster? Rod Taylor seems to still be hurt. He yeah. is not practicing yet, so that doesn't help his chances. Uh, going through two off-seasons hurt and trying to make it in the NFL as a young guy coming into the league. It's a kiss of death. I don't think that happens anywhere. Even, it doesn't matter Trey how. Trey Hopkins. Yeah. That's a good it, point. Right? So, so like, that I just thought of that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. He was an undrafted guy that we really liked. So, so maybe Rod Taylor, you know, maybe he can get onto the practice squad. I don't see why he couldn't if they wanted to keep him, actually. So, yeah. so there's a chance that he contributes in the future. I don't think that's this year. Devontae Harris could get some run for sure. Mm-hmm. And we talked to Kat Terrell. She mentioned him, that he was running with the twos uh, as one of the primary backups. Uh, in terms of grades, I was not a fan of Rod Taylor. He played tackle, but had a sloppy body. Uh, phone booth guy. He made sense why they said he's a guard right away. And he looks like that. I just wasn't too excited about his upside and potential. He didn't test well. Really didn't grade out well. Um, for me, I, I wouldn't have drafted him at all. But seventh round pick is where you take priority free agents. So it's not, it's not crazy. For Devontae Harris, though, I didn't have a greater an opinion on him coming from a D2 school before they drafted him. But after I watched him, he's big, he's thick, he's he's um, aggressive, he's a good tackler, but he's actually got ball skills too. And he played boundary corner for them. He has uh, done some work at safety. I thought he'd be a, an ideal nickel guy because of that that size and, and physicality. 
Uh, they seem to like him on the boundary. If that's the case, I think he's got a good shot to be one of the backups there. Yeah, it's a bit of an uphill battle to make the roster, though, depending on how many corners they keep, because you've got Kirkpatrick, Jackson, Webb. They seem to like Tony McRae, although it's a new coaching staff, so it remains to be seen. And then I, I think there's this mix of guys, McRae, Russell, Kivari Russell, Darius Phillips, Jordan Brown, Devontae Harris. That's five guys for probably two spots. That comes on the special teams then. So yeah. who's the best gunner? Who can you know do different things on special teams for them? And uh, Kavari Russell has. Tony McRae has been a very good st- uh, special teams guy. So Devontae Harris being injured for most of the year last year needs to show he can do that. And honestly, his build and his size and speed, he should be a really good punt gunner. And we've talked about some of the other guys that were hurt last year, otherwise didn't play last year, that have a chance to make an impact this year. And that's guys like Malik Jefferson, Carl yeah. Lawson obviously hurt last year. He comes back. That makes a big difference. Ryan Glasgow got off to a fantastic start, got hurt in one of the best games he's ever played. So all those guys can come in and, and come back and make an impact if they're healthy. Billy Price, even, having a full, healthy offseason, you hope, contributes to him having a better year after he dealt with injury, really, for the first time in the offseason last year and then had the foot injury that lingered. That's right. Alex Grisby has our next question. He says, how do reporters obtain sources? Players, coaches, random staff, a combination? Are these sources paid for info? No, they're not paid. They're not. Um, How do they obtain sources? Well, if they're reporters, if they're local, they have access to the team. So they can build relationships within the organization. If they're national guys... I'm not sure how they do. I know agents are a big source of yes. information. That yeah. that's that's where I was going. It's there are definitely sources within the Bengals organization that some people have, and I think Diana Rossini is one of those people that has a source inside the organization. But for whatever reason, we don't know. You know we, why? We, or we have if no national idea. people, we it's usually a random connection. Yeah, we don't know uh, who it is either. But I, I would say that for the most part, a lot of this information comes from agents. Yeah, and for me, uh, being a small fry, but getting tips and information sometimes, it, it's rare. But when I do, it's normally because I have shared information myself. So it's a trade of information. It could be, hey, um, I'm an agent of a player that's an undrafted guy. This is a scenario that happened. Uh, and he's a linebacker. What are the odds he can make the roster for Cincinnati? And I'd say, well, they've actually been very good to undrafted linebackers and here's the depth chart here i think only three guys are locked they typically keep six or seven you got a good chance if you beat out this guy this guy and this guy he says thank you um and you know he comes back later hey he's going to sign with them and then a couple months later hey this is going on let me give you this tip or this information so it's a trade of information typically for and you. it fits with yeah for me and and listening to adam Schefter's podcast if you ever, if you ever do that which is pretty good i interviews people but one time i was listening and he said it could be the same between GMs, where a GM will say, hey, um, you know, we're worried that this guy's not going to make it to pick 11. Do you think the Bills are going to take him at nine? And he goes, no, I've heard nothing from Buffalo saying that they like Jonah Williams. So, uh, you know, you guys should be good there. And then, you know, they might trade some information back where someone may say, hey, are the Bengals going to take Jonah Williams? And then he may trade it. It's just it's also they can gather information through one source without actually talking to each other. Yeah. Yep. I think for reporters, though, it's a bit different, right? So reporters, I'm not a reporter. You I mean, is Schefter's a reporter? Uh, yeah. yeah that's He's not an analyst. I, I mean, but say. Schefter isn't trading in information, is he? 
well, yeah, these guys talked about, like, you know, they'll give him information that he can use for others. And, you know, as long as he's giving something back, they give something the team gains information. Man, but it must be cool to be Adam Schefter, huh? He, he you probably his best know life. a lot of things that don't yeah. happen. He's got to know a lot of things. But I, I think also uh, Denver guy. What's his name? Benjamin Benjamin Albright. Benjamin Albright. He, that, dude, that dude definitely does the same thing. Yes. Next question comes from Brian V at B Villono, I think. Looking back at the Marvin era, who was a draft pick that you guys weren't much of a fan of or might have been a reach, but they performed a lot better than expected? First one that comes to mind for me all the time is Sean Williams. I yeah. um, That year, I was not very fond of Sean Williams. I thought I, I measured things. I think if I were if it was me now, I'd probably like Sean Williams a little bit more. But at the time, uh, I was like, he looked too stiff. He didn't look athletic enough. And if you go back and look, he's actually pretty athletic for a guy that's 215 pounds at 5'11-ish. Uh, but at the time, I'm like, it was all based on tape. And I said, eh, he just looks stiff. He doesn't look quick. He doesn't look fast enough. I don't think he can. he's an in-the-box guy only. Uh, and there was another safety for Georgia at the time. It was Bakari Rambo, who yeah. was fluid and athletic and had crazy ball skills and range. And I'm like, that's the guy I want. That's the guy that probably should go in the first two rounds. Sean Williams, is for me, was graded as a, like a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick. Uh, they take him in the third round, right? Or Yeah. And uh, I was like, ah, you know, I, I really wish they would have taken Bakari Rambo. But Rambo bounced around. He had some success. But ultimately, uh, Sean Williams has been the much better player. I don't know if I've got one besides Sean Williams. I, That's I, who you're gonna go with, huh? I, I don't know that there are guys that like I looked at the pick and I was like, ah, oh, it's a bad pick, and then they went on to be really good. Right, Rex Burkhead didn't grade highly for me, and again, it was because of mistake. I looked at him and thought he's not athletic enough. He actually tested really well in terms of uh, change of direction and acceleration. That's these the misses I've had are why I've leaned towards the athletic testing because my eyes have lied to me plenty of times. I go I go more in the other direction where guys that I'm like excited for end up not working out. I, I don't yeah. have me- like it's not often that the other, especially in the draft, I would say. Yeah, there hasn't been too many for me where I've gone in the other direction where it's like, oh wow, this guy's way better than I expected. Free agent signings sometimes have surprised me. Yes, that does happen, and I yeah, think that, that happens more a of, lot more. Yeah, it, for me, that's a harder. Um, swap in terms of an NFL scheme to another NFL scheme because they have more than likely built the previous one to that player or that player to the scheme and then going to a new one as they jump. Whereas if it's college player, if you're drafting him, you're going to fit him into your team if you plan on him being good. So uh, you that's usually when I'm like, okay, I can see the transition happening much cleaner. Right. Let's take another break, Joe. We'll come back for the rest of our questions. Today's show also... We have a third sponsor today brought to you in part by Untuck It. They have button-down shirts that look really good in their design so they don't they're not supposed to be tucked in. So when you wear them, right. they they don't look dumb when they're untucked and you can still, you know, see the top of your pants like you're supposed to be able to see when you have an untucked shirt. They actually look really good. They have a wide variety of styles of and 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 materials. They look really high quality. You can get 20% off right now using the promo code MBA at untuckit.com. Welcome back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We'll keep going with the questions. First one from Greg Luther. Shout out to Greg. He's asked a bunch of questions lately. If Mike McGlinchey and Jonah Williams were in the same draft, who would have been taken first? 
I think this is really close. I think both guys were seen as very polished, very productive college players. Notre Dame linemen have a good track record, and Mike McGlinchey has been no exception. He came into the league, and he was very good. Last year, though, the perception of Mike McGlinchey wasn't that he was a top tackle, and the perception of the tackle class is that it was generally weak, and I think a lot of people ended up with kind of a middle first grade on McGlinchey. He obviously went higher than that. Right. I had Isaiah Wynn as the um, right. as the top guy. And McGlinchey up... went 10 or yeah. 9? He went before the Bengals picked. Yeah. So, Jonah Williams went 11 this year. Was This year's class seemed to be thought of as much better at the top. Not necessarily that there was a can't-miss blue chipper, but that there was a lot of quality at the top and there was a lot of good production. Jonah Williams, I think, graded better from Pro Football Focus slightly. I think the tape's better, too, for Jonah. I think that it's very close on tape, personally. Uh, I really liked Mike McGlinchey, and the biggest differentiator is the size. He was taller, he's got longer arms, and he weighs 10 pounds more. And I think that would have made uh, McGlinchey great hire for us, probably, in our spreadsheet, because I think think teams would have leaned towards the size also. And I think that's the only reason... Jonah Williams did not go top 10 and was there at 11. He didn't test, though. And we would have knocked McGlinchey for not testing. It's, that's fair enough. Yeah, because and he probably would have got a 50 in our spreadsheet, right, which would have put him right with Jonah Williams. So it probably, would have been close again. Uh, they're very similar, I think, in the system have, we yeah. use this, this year, which, and as we said, does need refinement. Rookie year, too. Uh, I think he, at one point late in the year, he was still uh, graded as the best run-blocking tackle in the NFL. Oh, he so, was good. He's going to be good. good. Yeah. Notre Dame linemen, draft them. Next question comes from Jordan Grigsby. What would Drew Sample's season need to look like for justification of drafting him second round? Not becoming superstar, but an average second rounder at his position? Uh, Are we talking just rookie season? Because we shouldn't expect him to put up a lot of production. Yeah, we've talked about this with tight ends. Tight ends don't generally have excellent rookie seasons, as a general rule. There are exceptions. And he doesn't have a lot of history of being very productive, as we, as we talked about, as a receiver. Now, if he comes in and he is their best blocking tight end, that could easily happen, right? And we should be excited for that. He should be. And, and, and you yeah. listen to the way Brian Callahan, again, Brian Callahan talked about him today, guys. And I think Brian Callahan said he can be an elite run blocker already. Yeah. And, and that's a coach. And pass saying. protector. Honestly, if you watch him, he sure. looks yeah. like throw 30 pounds on him. He may be a tackle. But uh he, so he's a, if he's your best blocker and is an, is an asset in the in the blocking game, both sides running pass, uh, that is a good thing. That is a positive. That's what you drafted him for. If he does that, you're happy with the pick. The qualm has always been the value of a guy that's not a pass catcher, and it's not saying he can't be, but as of now, all evidence says he isn't. So if he develops and shows flashes and develops in that visibly that I can see, I will be happy with that pick. If he doesn't and, he, and they and they can't find ways to use him, if he still can't get open in his routes versus man coverage, I'm going to say, all right, year two, let, you know, he's got to still develop in that spot because that's going to make him worthy or not. If you draft a really good blocking tight end, a really good blocking tight end just got cut and signed for the Bills three years, nine million, and Lee Smith. I mean, those guys are out there typically. They're not yeah. coveted in terms of making him a franchise-type player. Now, if Drew Sample develops as a receiver, it doesn't matter the stats for me. For me, it's an evaluation thing because I think he's going to rotate with all three tight ends there. And if that's the case, uh, it's going to be the eye test. And if he passes it, then I'll be happy. 
That's that's one point I was going to make is Brian Callahan, the way he's talking about it, these guys are going to be rotating quite a bit because they're not going to have two tight ends on the field a whole lot. He said they're going to be an 11 team. Again, the three wide receivers, one running back, one tight end most of the time. There will be some occasions, I think, when they come out with two tight ends, but I think that will be infrequent. And when it does happen, I think it'll probably be when Tyler Eifert split out and is essentially a receiver. That being said, Callahan and A.J. Green have both said that he looked good catching the ball and he beat Jesse Bates. So we have some breadcrumbs of evidence that say he can be a productive receiver. Yeah, and that's the hope. But it, but like you said, it won't be stats because he's going to be rotating a lot. He probably won't have enough opportunities to produce uh, counting stats on, on a prolific level. Yeah, and I tried to compare him to a few guys and find um, rookie years of guys that were similar. And if he gets 21 catches for 220 yards, we should be happy. And Was, was uh, the athletic profile part of that comparison? Yeah, I wanted to find guys that didn't have production, were decently athletic, and were considered blockers. These guys are normally fourth-round picks, right? We talked about this. But being a second-rounder, I'm hoping maybe he gets more opportunity to, pr- to produce, and maybe that turns into 30 catches. Also looking at the Rams' offense, trying to get a general idea. So I think if you end up with 20-something catches for 200-something yards and a touchdown or two or three, uh, fine. That's whatever. Statistically, that's that's okay. When you say decent athletes, do you mean elite athletes? I don't, because if you look at his testing, he wasn't elite in any category. But he, he was is elite a well-rounded. Overall. I understand that. And so it's hard for me to compare because there are some guys that have, you know, elite testing overall, but it's because they're being weighted by being really fast or because they're, you know, they, they have really good agility. It's like, so I, he's hard to find a very good comparison. Yeah. All right. Let me go to the next question. That's me this time, isn't it? I think it is. All right. That's from Ben Lutas. Lutas? Anyways, thanks, Ben, for another question. Uh, He said, I've missed the mailbag, so this may be already have been answered. And I don't think it has been. But I remember you guys talking about predicting first-round busts in the past. Can you name the 10 players you think will be a bust from the first round in the 2019 draft, either due to team fit, scheme, whatever, maybe you're not like the player. This is honestly one of my favorite questions, and I think this might be my favorite question of the week if we can get out to Ben for an opening song. Uh, because I typically do this every year, yeah. and I'm, I think I'm going to pick two guys from the top ten, three from the middle ten, and then four from the last twelve picks. Okay, uh, number one, Daniel Jones. I lie, would also go Daniel Jones. Number two, uh, Nick Bosa has a hamstring injury already, but probably not Nick Bosa. No, hmm. who's your other top ten guys? At Farrell. Yeah, I was going to say Cleveland Farrell, and it's probably because of expectation of being that such a high pick, and there's like there's a low I, chance I it actually hits it. I don't think Farrell's a bust, though. So for me, it's Daniel Jones, Rashawn Gary, uh, where, where is he? Dexter Lawrence. What else we got here? You got to pick 10, so keep in mind, keep counting up for I yourself. Keep 10. Marquise yes. Brown in Baltimore. You should really pick 16. Yeah, but that's hard. Caleb McGarry, because I'm running out of names to pick. Uh, I'm going to go into Keel Harry, even though I like him, because the Patriots have a bad track record of picking wide receivers. Uh, Do I have to pick something that I want to happen or that I believe will happen? No, I don't want to root against the guy. That's mean. Devin Bush, where are you going to pick him? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just because of the Steelers. I like Devin Bush. Uh, Probably one of the safeties. So let's say Jonathan Abram. Although yep. I don't really think that either. Titus Howard. 
Probably one of the interior guys, right? One of the interior. Have you seen line. the history of the Texans' first rounds for like the last ten years? They've been dynamite. Really? Yeah, like maybe one miss. Making up for David Carr. Right, like six Pro Bowlers, three good starters. Yeah, that's fair. I'm doing so, it anyway. I, I'm, a, I'm well, an eight. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's tough to get the final two. You want I, me I to go? Yeah, you go. All right, I'm going to go with Cleveland Farrell and Daniel Jones, and uh, I'm not going to explain why. But the, caveat, but, but the caveat for Farrell is top, like, number four bust, because I think he'll be fine. Sure, if he's Michael Johnson, people are going to be like, I he's going to be a little bit better than Michael Johnson. Here's my, here's my caveat for bust. They don't get a second contract with the team that drafted him. Okay. All and right. I, I'm going to say they're going to say, well, he was only been a six-sack guy, and we're not going to do it. All right. Um, so... And it, it, that could be for a multitude of reasons that you never make that second contract. But anyways, all right, so those are those two. I'm going to go over Sean Gary. I'm going to go Christian Wilkins. I'm going to go um, Dwayne Haskins, number five. I'm going to go with uh, Darnell Savage, number six. Josh Jacobs, number seven. Marquise Brown, number eight. LJ Collier, number nine. Oh, yeah. Deontay Baker, number ten. Oh yeah, I should have. I should have done Baker. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm never gonna bet against the Seahawks first round pick. But I will because they keep making weird picks. Yeah. They keep being right though. Yeah, I like that we both have Marquise Brown on there. I All just right. think, and here's the reason why I think. He, we've got John Ross and Marquise Brown, and Brown deals with a lot of injuries, maybe a bit one-dimensional. I think the fit with if Lamar Jackson's a guy and doesn't develop fully, it's going to be a weird fit. Yeah. Next question comes from Aaron Parker, who told me to listen to Brian Callahan. So you're in my good graces today, at Mem Bengal. By the time the team gets to August camp, can enough install and live work really get accomplished in OTAs and mandatory camps that coaches can really have a good idea of who they want in each position? Is live hitting in practice a thing of the past such that decisions can be made early? Yeah, I think decisions are already made now. And everything is part of the evaluation. They come in, they're going to watch the tape. They're going to talk to coaches and people that are around, around them. These guys from the last few years, if any holdovers, uh, they're going to be introduced to these guys as they have been. They're going to use these OTAs, use these film sessions, use their everything they have that is part of the evaluation that they can gain an evaluation on. It doesn't have to be live action pads, football, real football to actually make a decision. It's all of it goes in part in in it. And I think like Hobson alluded to that. He thinks this could be the offensive line that they go with at week one. It's because They've done a lot of the homework. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a lot to go. There's still a lot to go. Installs are big. How do guys grasp it? Can they take in and and regurgitate all the information you're feeding them? Uh, Can they put that on the field against other competition and not just themselves once the lights are on in preseason? And so it all goes in. But I think you can have a very good idea, just like we do. We could assemble the starting lineup for offense and defense right now without seeing them since last year, right? I think if you're listening to this, you're like, yeah, I could do that. And it may be wrong, but you could do it. You have a decent idea, right? Right. So the team does too. And very little can actually sway them. Uh, But players do have an opportunity. It's mostly, I I would say lastly, I think camp's mostly for the final 20 guys more than it is the first 30 guys that are starting. Typically. Yep, I agree. I don't know that I have much to add. I will say that I think they talked a little bit about this today. Everything that they can get on tape matters. So you're looking right now in these camps at 
How are they grasping the concepts? Are they are they doing the things that they're supposed to be doing? They have it all on tape. They're making corrections as they go. If there are people that are making continuous mistakes, well, that's how you fall out of favor. But yep. the the guys in danger of doing that aren't aren't the guys that are running out there starting. Right, and that's right. I think they have a mostly veteran group that you feel comfortable with. And it, if you're asking, like specifically, can Clint Bowling still beat out John, uh, not John or John Miller, maybe or uh, Cordy Glenn or Bobby Hart? The answer is sure, but those guys have to play bad more than Clint Bowling has to play good, in my opinion. It needs to be both. And and there's a chance that both of those things happen, especially sure. right tackle and left guard. I, I am quite wary of the high pad carrying Cordy Glenn's transition to guard. I am too. Um, so we'll move on to the next question. It's from your cousin, Juicy Jake, because Juicy is your middle name also. And he asks, who are you taking? A.J. Green, Muhammad Snoo, Marvin Jones, or... Chad Johnson, TJ Hushmanzada, and Chris Henry. Chad, TJ, and Chris Henry. You are, huh? I think Chad and AJ is close enough. I think TJ is better than Sanu, and I think Henry is better than Jones. See, and I would say Green's a little bit better than Chad, and just slightly, but I think Hushmanzada is much better than Sanu, and I and I think Jones is just better than Chris Henry. Uh, you know, you not think like Jones is better than Henry. I do. Yeah, I think Henry was very one-dimensional, but the dimension they needed. He, if anything, to, like people have compared. Well, shouldn't John Ross be the Marvin Jones? I'm like, I think he's more the Chris Henry, and that's a, a good thing. That's an okay thing because uh, what they do is what they do, and that's a it's a need for a team when you've got two really good receivers that do what they do. So I, I mean, would, we we don't know where Chris Henry's career was going. Is the other thing. That's fine, but we only got three years yeah, of Marvin Jones also. Well, because but he we know what an he, entire year. That's true. All right. So, I mean, if we really look at it that way, they've had about the same career, and you, you can almost me. compare their stats. I'm still I, taking I, it for TJ because TJ is unreal. Having said that, I don't know who I'm picking. Flip a coin. <laughs> I think you've got – it's crazy how many trios we can look at, right? These are, If you're a Bengals fan under 40, and these are this is the trio probably that you think about, either it's Green, Sanu, or Jones, or Chad, TJ, and, and Chris Henry, it could quickly be also Green, Boyd, and Ross. That would be fun. Yeah, well, we hope so. Right. If you had to pick out of this group, AJ, Chad, Hush. That's easy. That's not the question, though. Next question is, however, from Ryan. Are you going to make a choice, though? Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> Cop out. They're all next good. Qu- next question is from Ryan at CincyDay97. Do you see BW Webb playing over Darquez Denard? I do not, but I do think the advantage that Webb has is he's currently healthy, so he's gaining trust and confidence from people outside of Lou Anarumo that already knows him. And then the other factor is Lou Anarumo, that he knows him and he can probably walk in and actually help line guys up right away now. So uh, good things for Webb. I think Webb will play. I think you always have an injury at that corner at some point, and the fact that he can play outside and inside and both sides, uh, he'll, he'll play more than enough. So if Dre goes down, are you putting B.W. Webb outside or are you putting Dr. Westernard outside? That's where I was going to lead to. I'm glad you said that. We're, we're thinking through the internet here on the other side of the <laughs> content. But, um, yes, I would. I would put B.W. Webb out there. Better speed. Uh, and that's really my concern with Denard is he's been beaten deep because he doesn't have that long speed or yeah. ball skills to make up for. But B.W. So Webb is put also on the much boundary, better in the slot. They're both, I that's think, fine. much better in the slot. But physically and, and ability, and I would say Webb should be able to hold up on the boundary where I would have to change everything on my defense to protect Denard from getting beat deep. All right. 
Next question from D.D. Merritt. His name is Dean. Based on the roster, both offensive and defense, what is the ideal scheme for both sides of the ball? We have no idea what they will run on O. Oh, I'm sorry. Never mind. He says we have an idea what they will run on O. Defense is more murky. I agree, Dean. Uh, So if you're designing these schemes, what are they? I also like the idea of starting the season one way and changing it up. I think we talked about the offense already, and I I don't want to change anything. I'm perfectly happy to have a Rams offense come in because we don't have Bill Belichick calling plays. If you have Bill Belichick, then you do something different every week and and nobody can beat you. Well, you lose sometimes, but, I mean, obviously, anyway. Uh, The defense... I would go back to to the Zimmer stuff. I would go back to the the Gunther stuff, the Marvin Lewis stuff, the staples of your four three base. Spending time in nickel, I want to see the sugar and the a gaps come back because I think that that was very effective for the Bengals, and I don't see any reason that it can't still be effective in the NFL. Yeah, I just think it exposes your linebackers a little bit more, and I'd like to get away from that. Unless you have superb athletes that can get back, feel comfortable in coverage, because they're going to turn their back sometimes to the quarterback as they blitz them uh, every vi- time. Sure, just blitz them, <laughs> blitz six guys. See, and that's why that's the thing I I, I would lean for defense. How I'm very happy with the, the direction of the offense this is exactly what I would have picked uh, going going forward if I was doing the hiring. But uh, on defense. I would like the idea of being more multiple and being able to do more things with Carl Lawson, who I think can be a staple of this defense, and letting him stand up, move around a little bit more. Uh, not To me, I don't care if a guy is standing up, got his hand down. I don't care if people want to say 3-4, three, 4-3. Four, four, three. I've got four rushers, and I'm going to find a way to get them on the field and, and get them rushing the passer in advantageous situations. And And by lining a couple guys up next to each other or moving Lawson or standing them up, I think you create some opportunities and some advantages. That's really the only thing I would say uh, where I would lean and say, I need these guys to be good. Also, one other thing I should say, I'd play more cover one or cover three. Basically, I'd, I'd, want, a, I'd want a safety in the middle of the field. I think Bates is really good in a cover two, cover four scheme, but I think he can do more single high safety. And, and it's not for Bates. It's for William Jackson. I want to funnel these throws to the boundary. I want to funnel these throws towards Jackson. So I would I would lean the safety towards Kirkpatrick, um, give Darko's Denard a little bit of help also if, if needed in the slot. But I, I would say, okay, we're going to leave one-on-one island William Jackson test him and test him often because I think if he's on his game, um, he's going to shut you down more than he gives it up. And we've seen that before. So that that's a good point. And I, I hadn't thought about that. You know what else would be a good scheme for the Bengals in 2019 is signing Gerald McCoy. Next question. Jack Fleming at Alpaca Death Trap. That's a fun name. Okay. When offensive line players switch sides, how much of a learning curve or drop in production is there? I would imagine someone like Glenn, who has played left tackle for almost a decade, would have to overcome a lot of muscle memory. I'm glad you put muscle memory in there. So think of something you do, not writing. All right. So if you're right-handed and you're writing, it's not like that. I would say it's brushing your teeth with your right hand every time. Tomorrow when you wake up, brush your teeth with your left hand. And it's going to be weird. And you'll know the motions. You won't be as efficient. You won't be as smooth. You won't, probably won't be able to go as fast. Uh, you'll get the job done. And it may take a few weeks of relearning it, but if you're just going from left tackle to right tackle, the ideas, the scheme, the technique is all the same. It's just reversed. It's doing it in a mirror. So if if you can handle that and and work through it in the offseason, you'll be okay. If you're moving to guard or center or whatever, I think that's when 
that's why those backup versatile guys are so valuable and they get paid. They get paid off and the Bengals have a, a history of paying that that sixth guy that can play multiple positions because when you can do it, it's very valuable. And, and I think that's the harder transition. That's why I'm very interested in Cordy Glenn making that move inside to guard. And I said that earlier too. There's some concerns about pad level and how quickly he'll have to react and how he'll be different playing in a phone booth. He's also a giant and he's very strong. So it might just go well and he might just be a mauler. So it it remains to be seen how he adjusts. I think I agree with you. It's it's harder to move inside sometimes than it is to just switch sides. And it's harder to move outside. So you very rarely see, and someone said this about Clint Bowling, well, couldn't they just move him to tackle? Um, he's played some tackle. He's survived at tackle. He's, I wouldn't say he's been good. He's been beaten uh, a bunch. I can remember more times he lost than, than he won on the, on the boundary. Typically, guys don't move to the outside, especially late in their career. So um, that's something against them. Next question, Kyle Scoble, Scobie Snacks. Australian Bengals fan here, and I challenge you to interpret this phrase of Aussie Bogan slang. You got to read it with an Aussie accent. Oh, I don't, I, I don't know an Aussie accent. Um, but he says, put on some pluggers and we'll head to the Bennings for a snag. Then to the bottle O to pick up some grog and darts for the Sheila and might hit the macacus on the way home. Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, so put on some pluggers, put on some shoes, and we'll head to Bunnings for a snag. So I don't know if this is like a bar or a restaurant for a snack or a drink. But the pluggers and, and stuff, well, they're putting their shoes on, right? They're yeah, putting their shoes and put boots shoes on. on. Going go to a place to have a drink or a snack. Yeah. And then they're going to pick up some beer and cigarettes for the girlfriend. And they might hit the corner store, Macas. I don't know what that is, on the way home. Sure. I don't know what else it would be. Macas, see, it's, it's capitalized. So it's a store or location of some. It might be point. a strip club. I doubt it, though. I bet it's a big open field that's on fire. I think I, <laughs> everything in Australia is trying to kill you. I think it's a that's corner what I mean. store. I think it's a corner okay. store. Last question. It, I think it's a giant bird. A I'm giant a bird. Might hit the giant bird on the way home. Last question comes from Dusty Balls 08. Welcome back to the show, Dusty. PS4, Xbox, and what games are you guys currently playing? Me and my buddies Ooh. are currently playing a lot of Apex Legends. I haven't played anything in a while, I'll be honest. It, it's it's weird. I'll go through spurts where I really want to play games, and I should in the off season. But I think I play more during the NFL season because I want to get away from football because I'm doing so much football stuff that I, when I have time, I'm like, I got to you know forget about it and play a game. So I have an Xbox and a PlayStation for I lean towards the Xbox. I've had an Xbox for a long time. Um I mean, since the beginning for that, and I haven't had a PlayStation since PlayStation 1. I just got the 4 for the Spider-Man PS4 game, which was fantastic. But uh, like Dusty Balls, I've played Apex Legends, and I think they've married the Battle Royale systems of all these different games very well. I've never been a shooter guy, which means all these these Battle Royale games don't appeal to me at all. But shooting may be the least thing you do in these Battle Royale. I, I don't care. Do you like strategy? Do you like magic? Do you like powers? Do you like teamwork? I don't like anything that's real-time player versus player, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. You should rather go against AI, if there could be some AI out there. No, but I, I like turn-based player versus player. Okay. So I like card games. So I've been playing Magic Online, Magic the Gathering. I've been playing that a little bit. Uh, Path of Exile is coming back out in a couple of weeks. I'll be I'll check that out again 
Um, but PS4, Xbox, I've been a PlayStation guy for my life, but I haven't bought a console in a very long time. I'm a PC guy at this point, and I don't see myself ever buying a console for myself again. As I was describing the things that Jake may like about a game like Apex Legends, his face kind of perked up like, I do like magic. I do like teamwork and fun things like this. I, like, I don't so, like shooting. <laughs> I, I like those. So I like teamwork more in real life than in video games. And also I like it more in other kinds of games for whatever reason. There's something about like the 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 whole like aim and shoot in in a digital in a digital world where there's like lag and like you don't like you, your senses are dulled. You don't have peripheral vision. You can't hear stuff behind you. I don't, I, you don't. We don't wear a headset. I do, but it's still it's still like you're still not getting real world vision. Like you're, I hear that, and and I don't let you know. I don't know. Let me tell you why Battle Royale is a little bit different from like a deathmatch type shooter, though. Real quick, because you, you may fire your gun one time in a battle royale, yeah, and that's it. Yeah, because you don't see people often, and yeah. if you do, I, I, uh, it it's an open world basically. You got to pick up supplies. You got to survive. Yeah, I've seen it. Team. I've I've right. seen them. Yeah. So it's that's why I mean I like the thing I like about shooters is not the shooting part. It's the quick firing strategizing yeah. at real time. Of like, okay, duck here, jump there, do this, do that. You know, it happens for me so naturally and fun that I enjoy that part. But I think I think the people that like those games like shooters first. Like almost always. And that's why I don't win. <laughs> they're better shooters than i am yeah, but yeah, they can't yeah. kill me because i'll be ducking through the grass diving over rocks throwing a grenade smoke grenade down I'm like catch me yeah not my thing that's okay though path of exile comes out in two weeks i'll check that out um yeah uh there's this game called auto chess which is kind of interesting auto chess is yeah, it chess it's... against a computer jake no it's not it's against other people it's based on dota which is Defense of the Ancients. It's a, it's a MOBA. There's a lot of acronyms on this podcast today. But yeah. anyway, the idea is you buy chess pieces that have different abilities and have different synergies with one another, and you build yourself a chess team, and then the pieces battle other people's teams, and it's, it's an eight-person game, and you play one other person every round, and it's, I, I've had fun with that too. Sounds great. It's pretty fun. Also, we've talked about this before. I'm playing a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. I finally get to play, so I'm not running the game anymore. I get to play, so that's been exciting. Have you done anything yet? Yeah, on Tuesday we we had our first game. And that's it. You're not gonna tell me what you did? Well, there it was kind of slow. Um, okay. There there are a couple of people in my group that are playing these half elf sorcerers who are both evil and holier than thou. Actually, there's three holier than thou characters, but anyway, two of them picked on some kids and i'm playing this like you know he cares for children kind of character he's not good but he definitely has a soft spot for kids because he had a little brother that that do you get to pick this yeah yeah i wrote it all myself and and so he he watches these kids getting bullied and goes over and like kind of coddles them and cheers them up and takes them to the people that take care of them and Anyway, he didn't get along very well with the half-elf sorcerers because he was actually enslaved by elves back in the day. So just inherently, they're not buddies. You wrote this. I wrote it. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't know that you could do that. Yeah, well, the whole idea is you come up with your character in the backstory and then you tell a story with your friends. And also <laughs> you kill dragons and stuff. Also that. Anyway. 
That'll do it for the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We had some sponsors. I told you about them. Hotels.com, Untuck It, and Grip Six Belts. As always, go check out the podcast on the Himalaya podcast app. Get your curated list of podcasts. Also available on Google Play, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, and Spotify. Until next week, Bengals fans, have a good one and enjoy your weekend.